Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story, Inc. is Brian Morrissey, the president and editor-in-chief of Digiday, the leading trade publication on the world of digital publishing and digital media in general. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jay. Very excited to have you here. Uh, as a regular listener to your podcast and someone who uh, this is not just uh, <laughs> fanboying here, I, Digiday is part of my daily routine uh, and uh, very impressed with with what you've built there and, and the, the brand equity you've built. I, but I, I want to start by saying that there are a few industries that have had more of a roller coaster ride in the past. Pick your timeline, three months, three years, you go on than the digital publishing world. And I'm curious about your morning must. Digiday is one of mine, but how in the world do you stay on top of the B2B world of digital publishing? I mean, I'm probably like a lot of people like who are in the sort of information world, you know? So like I, I rely on Twitter and on, on email newsletters uh, to keep, keep abreast on, on, you know, what our competitors are doing, but like, you know, just more broadly, um what's going on you know because it's i always say like when we sort of started out like um people said oh well your competition is ad week and ad age and media posts and i didn't really see it that way because anyone who's like covering this big you know change that's going on in the in the media world and in the advertising world um is the sort of competition so it's it's everyone it's new york times it's wall street journal i mean obviously we have people who you know used to work uh at digiday who are at the wall street journal in these places so they're definitely um in the competitive set so cool i mean it's it's interesting i look at at the at the world that you cover and and just the various topics that you're covering on a day-to-day basis and and it's pretty wide-ranging to your point i mean you could do an entire and people do um publications on just the ad technology or any component of the world that you're covering and so I look at it, and Digiday is to me is kind of almost the broad catch-all. Like it's it's a, it's a more of an umbrella for the entire uh, universe. How, how I mean, do you I look would, at it? I mean, I would sort of agree, sort of disagree. In that, um, you know, we don't really try to be comprehensive. And I think, um, you know, I came from Adweek, and, and that right. was sort of a um, at the time it was a tenant of it. I remember the editor sort of coming 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 in hot out of her office saying ad age has this up. we gotta <laughs> we gotta match it and i was sitting there in my cubicle and i was like yeah but we do something different i mean if ad age got the story about the four finalists for the uh Pennzoil review like maybe we should do something else like, <laughs> I mean, um and that sort of formed the basis of what you know we really wanted to focus from the beginning on differentiation and the way you focus on differentiation is you you don't try to be comprehensive. You yeah. don't try to cover cover everything. So we zeroed in on a few on a few key things early on that we wanted, like you know, ad pack and, and, and at the time like the raise the rise of native advertising and and you know basically the the issues the publishers were having in, in building sustainable businesses broadly. Um and so I think we've kind of continued that to me. I mean, like, I think the topics change, uh, um, 
you know, obviously the the future of TV is now a big um, focus of ours where it wasn't before. Um, but we don't try to be comprehensive, I think. And I think that's important for publications these days. Um, they kind of, they need to have um, sort of the self-confidence not to, and, and the ability yeah. <laughs> to recognize <laughs> that they're not going to be, they're not going to be everything to everyone. Even, even in a field as, as narrow as, as media and marketing, you're just not going to be able to have the breadth of coverage. And, and the idea that people only get their, you know, information from one source is, um, yeah, it's just it's just not how the world works these days. Talk with Brian Morrissey, the editor in chief and president of Digiday. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at b morrissey m o b m o r r i s e y or and at two Digi- s's, two s's, two s's. Jeez, I did it myself, and I have it in front of me, Brian. That's a poor mistake. As I said, at b m o r r i s s e y and at Digiday publication is at Digiday d i g I-D-A-Y. Uh, most people listening are familiar with both you and Digiday as well. So I, I really, to that point of kind of uh, the thing I'm most drawn to is when uh, in your podcast, you've gone there quite a few times on kind of the niche within the niche, right? And and I particularly started this podcast uh, about half a year ago, focusing on the businesses and best practices of brand content studios, really media publishing and content creation produced by brands and organizations. And I'd really like to dig in there on the current and near future state of the industry. I mean, recently you had on your your podcast, which highly recommend if you're listening, you had the co-founder of Mail Magazine, Josh Skolmeyer. Yeah. The Men's Lifestyle Pub, the kind of grew out of Dollar Shave Club. Recently had, you know, Verizon Media CEO and perhaps the best name of any CEO I've seen, Guru Garapin. Um, and then you, I think maybe a year and a half ago, uh, which really got me thinking about Brand Story Inc. and kind of focusing on the on the content studio, the watch publication maker Houdinki. Um, yeah. In, in in light of everything going on, I'd I'd love to get your opinion on what you're seeing as it relates to the brand content studio and how things are changing. Uh, that's a big one. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like I'll just start like on the publisher side. Um, you know, I think for Look, there's obviously a big opportunity for, you know, brands to um, to have a point of view and tell stories in a way that, that that helps drive their businesses forward. And I think you're seeing like a few interesting things develop. I, I feel like in the beginning, branded content was just a new form of advertising, mm-hmm. but really, it, it's truly a different, a new form of of media. And you can come at it from a different, a few different. Um, uh, points of view but if you look at like for instance what's going on with you know you mentioned mel and and uh, josh schulmeyer and you know it doesn't directly it's not the kind of brand content you had thought of you know uh, uh several years back because it's really about a lifestyle um, it's about being a modern modern man in this um time where there's a lot of introspection and you know i think if you sort of went back to like the sort of era of maxim and stuff uh, that doesn't age well right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there's an opening there and i think where um you know dollar shave and mike dubin uh, the the founder you know sees is, is the top of the funnel right so i think i think content can serve as an incredible top of the funnel you know, to gather a like-minded uh, audience and community and, and that can be monetized a whole bunch of different ways you know but it's it's you know 
you're seeing a lot of DTC brands mm -hmm. um, use content as the top of the funnel. Um, and these are very DR focused brands. So I think brand of content was really thought of as kind of soft. Like, I don't even know if this stuff works. <laughs> Whereas I feel like now it's like, it's, it's much more top of the funnel, but it's a funnel to lead to sales. Right. And that's, yep. that's critical. If you look at like a Glossier or something like this, that started as a blog built a community and that's the key i think is community around this specific um area of beauty and um you know to emily weiss's credit you know instead of saying hey we can get in the, in the old days it'd be like oh well, we'll get federated media we'll part of a blog network and, and make a little bit off of uh of, of ads you know instead they're they're making their own products this is a giant company I think you're seeing that in, in a whole bunch of different areas that, that make it really interesting. I think it can go two different directions. You can go to really start from the media and build the community and then, and then drive down to the bottom of the funnel. But I mean, you're also seeing people, you know, do the reverse and, and companies um, that have a true point of view, um, you know, really look to content to drive uh, that top of the funnel. Yeah, it's, uh, because it's interesting. I, I want to jump in there because, you know, you had um, his name's escaping, but the, the founder of, Pudinki, right? Which was this authentic watch community kind of started as the, you know, the typical blog in the basement type thing that grew into a business out of like this rich community engagement. And then you have other ones where it's been kind of a flag in the ground where someone sees a white space or a niche that's, that's not fully exploited. And you just kind of say, okay, Hey, let's go there and build something and put the resources behind it. Do you have an opinion on, I don't know if there's a right way, but I mean, do you have an opinion on, um, kind of how communities yeah, I mean, evolved? I mean, there's a few ways to do it. I mean, but I think, yeah, I, mean, I like always give people shit for buzzwords. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, it's about, you know, actually having a community and it being like something real um, rather than, than some sort of, you know, manufactured thing in a, on a whiteboard. Um, I guess, I guess the whiteboarding is over nowadays. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there's some sort of like zoom extension that allows you to whiteboard on zoom but um productivity is probably going up with the, the lack of whiteboarding actually yeah there you go <laughs> it's like what are what is like what where else can i talk to myself now and make myself corporate, sound important corporate world doing now that the it's freed up like 20 percent of time there's no whiteboard <laughs> uh but no but i mean i think you know if you look at like a hudinki and stuff like this you know ben Clymer is he's part of that community he's really into it he's really he's a watch guy yeah he didn't um he didn't go to business school and I don't know if he went to business school, but he didn't right. go to business school. And then between his first and second year, it'd be like, Hmm, the watch industry globally is uh, <laughs> $40 billion. And there's an opportunity, uh, that kind of stuff. And you see that a lot in the DTC world. You know, they, they have yeah. these made up founder stories, you know, it's like, I found this problem. It just happened to find it like between my first and second year at Harvard business school. <laughs> I mean, what if, what are the chances? And I really wanted to solve it. Um, uh, but, you know, I think, and you, and you see that in, in particularly in areas, you know, of lifestyle areas. I mean, you think about, you know, the streetwear um, blogs that grew into this, like a high snobiety um, and a hype beast. Um, you know, they're founded by, you know, respectively, but by, you know, two dudes who are just like really into sneakers and, and skate culture um, more broadly. And, you know, they started, 
they started these things as passion projects. And I think that ends up, you know, you're more likely to get a community when it starts that way than if it's over-engineered. Yep. No, that's a, I think it's, it's a, that's an important nuance that I think you don't hear many conversations about, right? Because it's, especially coming from the corporate side, to be able to do that, to be able to pull it off, it takes a lot of nuance and understanding and corporations getting out of the way of themselves to make sure that they, they fully get it right because that's hard to do. Yeah, and it probably runs counter, right? I mean, like, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, look, everyone wants immediate ROI and all that. And so, like, there's going to be pressure. I mean, you just see it within, I'll just say, like, within, like, media organizations, you know, you need you need both sides. And, and I put sides in quotes. But you need to have people who are focused squarely on the audience, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to have people focused on on the the client or advertiser, um, whatever it is. But like, you know, that focus on the audience is not to be taken for granted. And um, I think it's hard to balance the two. I mean, that's always the um, the challenge with brand content. You know, for every Mel, I mean, there's so many that are right. just like, you know. Uh, they're just cheesy infomercials basically at the end of the day it's like why don't you just run ads (laughs) um and really that's you know i think we can kind of see that sometimes in some of the you know what we have a content studio um too um and you know it's a classic thing of like you know are people buying what they think they're buying like you know are you, you say you want thought leadership. Do you really want leads? I mean, we can do leads, but right. like, you know, what do you want? Right. Like, you know, let's be, let's be clear about this. Um, well, Brian, it's interesting. Can I jump in there? Cause you mentioned that you just mentioned it kind of almost as a parenthetical that at Digiday you have your own content studio and you and I can debate the difference between say IBM studios or Red Bull content studios um, and, and Digiday's content studios. But I think the fundamentals, the service offerings, the ethos behind the content, they, they hold true for the good ones across the board. And so I'd love to dig in there. Your content studio is called Custom, correct? Yeah. Walk us through Digiday's revenue streams and, and the playbook that you use specifically around the content studio and how that works for you. So I think the actually founding of the content studio is a good way to start. Cause I mean, we started this, like, I think it was like six, seven years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And it was born, it was like a sort of no bullshit born out of a need. And the need was, was this, you know, events are an important, have been, um, maybe I have to use the past tense now, <laughs> uh, were an important part of our, our, of our revenue model. Um, Digiday was born really as an events company. Um, you know, Nick Freeze, our founder, you know, gathered together a group of publishers trying to figure out, um, you know, what the heck was going on with their businesses as as uh, as they collided with digital technology. I and mean, that was like 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so events have always been core to our DNA. Um, I joined like nine and a half, I guess, years ago. And like, you know, I was new to the events world. I mean, I was at ad week. I'm like a journalist i'm about like you know the reporting and and you know so events were new to me but one of the things that really struck me was like after the event people would come up be like hey i thought it was really good but you know this session and this session sucked and i was like oh no 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 those were those were the sponsor sessions and then they were like i don't care you wasted my time they suck 
Um, and so the content studio was sort of born out of a very simple, um, I guess, two things. One, we couldn't allow the experience to suck, um, even if people were paying us, because it would ultimately be bad for the brand and bad mm -hmm. for the business. And the other two, and this was a critical one, was that people don't wake up in the morning wanting to suck. <laughs> they don't aspire to suck. There were probably a few people, but like very few people are, are like get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to suck. Um, so, you know, happily, I guess the third thing was we could make money too, helping <laughs> people not suck because, and this is where the audience focus comes because, you know, from my standpoint, like I think about, you know, the audience for everything. Like, does our audience want this? Will our audience like this and stuff like this? And, you know, having an understanding of that and being able to transfer it to a, a, a marketer who isn't going to have that. They don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've got enough that they're trying to like, you know, drive sales. I don't mean to like, this is like a bad thing, but like, how are they, right. how are they to have that focus when they've got a, they've got real, you know, hardcore KPIs are being held against. Um, so the idea was just sort of marriage to marry the two. And it really started with our events. And then obviously, um, you know, we moved into, you know, doing this on the website and, and whether it's a white paper or a webinar or, um, you know, a custom event or, or anything like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's marrying the insights that we have from, knowing our audience and the communities that that we operate in really well and you know try and you know this get that uneasy marriage of yep. achieving a client goal with stuff that our our um audience will like well um, I, it, it's interesting i think with custom right i mean you do everything from video content creation to you know you can create digital episodics to events you've got a host of platforms that you've built out. You've got a kind of a best in class awards program that people vie for. Uh, walk us through. I love you do this. I get to do this to the guy who does it to everyone. I love this part. Walk, walk us through the pie chart of your revenue. How, how does it break down? And uh, how is now, it changing? Now or like oh, both? Or like I think like before, seriously because I want to get into that. How is it changing? Before Corona, um, um, either. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, events. The the events were half our revenue. Mm -hmm. um, they're not, they're not going to be half our revenue uh, now. Clearly, I mean, um, we're adapting our our existing business. And look, this was if if we were talking like I don't know four years ago, events would have been ninety percent of our revenue. Okay. So I guess it's like good news, bad news. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> maybe it's bad news, <laughs> worse news. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so. That's, you know, that sucks. Um, but, um, we can't control a lot of stuff. We can't control, uh, this virus. If we did people, people would truly love us. So how are you, um, how are you adapting then to that point? Well, we're doing, we're doing, um, you know, like everyone, we're doing virtual, um, mm -hmm. events and, um, you know, the challenge there is actually less on the content side. I think adapting the content to a digital format can actually be a better product mm -hmm. um, in many ways. You, you, you could also scale it in different ways. You can do different things. You start to have an interesting marriage of, is this an event or is this a video product or is it both? Right. And can we, can we do the magic of media and resell in different windows? 
meaning like can we put on a, a virtual event that you experience because before with our with our in-person events you know all the value is delivered over three days and then it just evaporates goes mm -hmm. away mm -hmm. but with a with a virtual event um you can have uh you know a sort of evergreen value you know so we're we're packaging together like a, a virtual version of the event that that, that can be bought you know mm -hmm. after the event like for you know it'll it won't be in perpetuity because it'll end up fading but like you have a, a longer tail of value um but the hardest part to recreate is the is and it's it's probably the most valuable part is what our, our former cro called it the deal making atmosphere you know yeah. our yeah. our events um you know we we didn't really have events in like new york or san francisco or any um major cities we would generally go to nice places like vale got vale colorado i've been to vale colorado quite a few times <laughs> um, miami and stuff like that and you know the idea was to get people away from their day-to-day -day. you know we had a, a a whole group that was dedicated to getting the right people to this event and you know an essential function was the matchmaking function um you know, that's how business is still done a lot of face-to-face -face. Um, yeah. i don't know if we would have to have plexiglass and all this <laughs> stuff like this now so that's obviously off the table and it's really difficult to create that deal-making atmosphere that matchmaking in a virtual environment we are doing it but it's difficult and i can't say that we've you know completely solved that how, but how do, the way i look at it go ahead sorry no i mean the way i look at it is like sometimes you got to you got to detach like the means from the ends. Right. And so like, fine, the means are, are, are going to be different, you know, but let's, let's work backwards from the ends. Like what, what is the goal that we're trying to accomplish? And let's figure out new ways to, what was the value we were creating in, in Vail or in Key Biscayne or, or, or mm -hmm. Portugal or whatever Croatia we were in? Um, what was the value we were creating for the marketplace? And that then, frankly, we were able to extract some value for ourselves for creating that value. But let's focus on that value and how we can cre create that value in different ways, because those needs have not gone away. Right, right. Don't sales. I, I don't think people have shut down their uh, CRMs. You know, right. they, they still need leads. Uh, salespeople still need to, to need new clients. So, like, let's figure out how we can solve these these problems in new in new ways. Interesting. And do you feel, um, and we're going to get to your podcast in a second, do you feel that Digiday's challenges right now mirror pretty evenly the people that you're talking to in your podcast and digital publishers in general? Or are they different? I think everyone, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I, I remind our team this, but I've probably fallen, like, you can't really talk about publishers or media companies, like, as, like, some monolithic. Everyone has different business models, right? So, yeah. like, the, the, the challenges like Digiday would have with a more B2B focused are very different from the challenges of New York Times with right. a heavy subscription model, which is very different from a Huffington Post and so on and so forth. I think a lot of the challenges that we face are the same challenges that are faced by, particularly by B2B media companies. Mm -hmm. Typically, B2B, you know, has, um, you know, not been as reliant on advertising um as uh as as a lot of consumer media so oh yeah that was good over the last you know it's a very it's a it's a community focused model um uh, particularly at digiday and you know events 
typically for B2B companies have represented a large portion of uh, the revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so I, most, most, most people who are running these companies tell me that it sucks. Yeah, I did a poor job of framing that. I think it's important, right? Your your peer set of B2B, right? Yeah. It's a B2B digital publishing that's kind of event-based as a key Well, component. I would say this. It's, it's, a, it's a B2B revenue model. I don't really consider us like a trade publication. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't – and the reason mostly is because that's generally used, and maybe it's among reporters, as, you know, cheerleaders yeah. um, and, and boring. And I just don't think that people – you know, I, I think one of the original things with Digiday was that, you know, look in this world of feeds and all this stuff, again, this is nine years ago, um, that, you know, people did not separate, oh, I, I read this for like, you know, my regular life, but I read this for work. It's just all blended together. Yeah. And so you can't be boring and you can't be full of shit. And so like, um, and also in a time of great change, you know, the that cheerleader role that trade publications have typically filled um, kind of goes away. The value of it goes away yeah. because like the most value you can provide to your community is really actually conveniently like being honest about the challenges and um, that are, that are out there. Yeah. And yes. Highlighting like solutions and stuff, but you know, we do a lot of like how to content. I hope in a way that's like interesting because that's why, I mean, this time sucks, but it's also kind of good because everyone is trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone is trying to figure out how to get to the other side. And I think we can, we can actually provide a really important service to the community by, by showing those challenges and showing how, how people are trying to overcome them and stuff like this. Versus like, oh, here are the 25 top creatives you need to know right now. Right. That's, right. that's bullshit. That's right. nonsense. No, I, I think you've done a really good job of that during the pandemic, honestly. I mean, it's, it's, it's why you've built up such good brand equity because it's like, okay, you're being honest. It sucks. Here's how it sucks. Here's what other people – but you're playing the role of convener yeah. and solution provider and – you know, kind of. So that's that's an important thing that I think you, you just highlighted. Like, and I, yeah. I often say this internally. Again, means from the ends. Like, the the role of convening is more important than ever. The fact that you can't rent a ballroom and do it is, to me, like not inconsequential, but it's not super consequential. That need has not gone away. Right. Now, whether that's done through Zoom or whether it's some other platform that, you know, we would have to build or something like this, I think the media brands and the brands that are going to, I still believe that the ones who have community at the center of them, whether they're a consumer brand or whether they're a media brand, are the ones that are going to succeed they're going to they're going to come out of this on the other side stronger. Totally agree. Oh, I think it, it could segue into kind of the other side of the curtain now. Like if you just look at I, I look in advance of this, I was kind of digging into some of your recent podcasts. And, you know, you recently had the Teen Vogue editor in chief on diversity and black voices and media and agencies. You had the score CEO on sports gambling in digital media, you had Telemundo on the Hispanic audience, you had McClatchy CEO. So kind of ran the gamut over the last couple of months. And I'm just curious, what topics are you most interested in right now in terms of covering? I mean, right now, 
I mean, look, I'm, uh, I think we're, you know, like, like everyone else and, and, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've got three overlapping sort of crises right now. We've got a, Mm -hmm. we've got a health crisis with with coronavirus. We've got an economic crisis with possibly a downturn that's only rivaled by the great depression. And we have a social crisis, um, with, uh, uh, unfortunately with social unrest leading from Mm -hmm. police brutality and systemic racism in this country. So, Figuring out how to cover all three in a, in a way that is both meaningful and like true to ourselves, I think, is to me the most important thing. So, um, you know, I was just talking to our, like our company earlier today we had a company meeting and, and you know, the way I look at like, you know, in the aftermath of, of the Floyd killing is, and, and how we like address it. One, we got to fix we got to fix shortcomings we have internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think everyone has to do that and really examine and interrogate their, their, their methods and, and, and try to get better results, you know? Um, but then also I think of, you know, the biggest thing that we can do is, is in our coverage is in representation of, um, you know, podcast guests, my guests have, have, have not been the most diverse. There's been, there's, as a white guy, I can say there's a lot of white guys I've talked to. Yep. Um, and, you know, that's on me uh, to, to do better with that. And and I think some of it is really just widening the aperture a little bit because I'm a big fan of focus. And, and you know, we were very laser focused on the business changes going on in media and marketing as you know distribution models change as monetization models change with with the move from analog to digital mm-hmm. i think what you got to add in there is how and it's a business challenge this isn't like you know right. doing like um some sort of social work is the business challenge of having equality and an opportunity is has to be baked into that mm-hmm. and you know, we expanded Digiday, I guess it was like four years ago, into beauty and fashion uh, with Glossy. And what opened my eyes a little bit there, but it's been, they've been reopened, I guess, if you will, uh, is, you know, the changes going on in beauty and fashion are, yes, from digital technology, e-commerce, and, 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 and you know, being able to buy Instagram ads and start new brands and stuff. But it's by societal um, and cultural uh, forces, um, the, you know, inclusive sizing, um, inclusiveness as far as, you know, the models and the runways um, and, and, and even like climate change, these things are not tech. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I think we, and at Digiday, um, have to be have to widen that aperture and to make these um, issues of equality and opportunity and representation as important to us as programmatic mm-hmm. so <laughs> it with programmatic you know my belief is there's been no programmatic reporter at digiday anyone who covers media marketing has to understand that the dynamics of the programmatic marketplace <laughs> and the impacts that it has otherwise they can't they can't cover mm-hmm. their beats. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing is true when it comes to um, these issues of equality and opportunity. It's a really insightful. You can't, point. you can't, you can't hire. Uh, and we have competitors. That's fine, but that's my view. You can't hire a DNI reporter and call it call it a day. Right. I just don't think that's good enough. 
Well said, Brian. I admire you uh, for for being honest about it and having the candid conversation. I mean, and we all can do we all can do that, and all are I think looking at that. And I know I have within our with our company, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, in the interest of time, I'm going to segue out of a really serious issue into kind of a more maybe <laughs> playful issue, right? And I, I I say this lovingly as I listen to you when you know you have guests on and they. They start pumping up statistics and metrics, and you <laughs> you wait for a certain point before jumping in and like, okay, let's cut to the chase, right? Like, let's mm. like, let, let's let's get into the, the the takeaways here. And so, you know, with that, I think we earlier talked about how even beyond the pandemic, if you look at the last twelve months, just the rapidity of change on the different platforms. Um, and so I want to do a little word association with you. It could be a phrase association with you in okay. terms of what you're thinking about in terms of, so I'll throw, I'll throw a platform at you. You tell me what comes top of mind, you know, um, use as many or as few words as you want, but we'll do this rapid fire. So Facebook. Mass undifferentiated reach. Instagram. Effective ads. Twitter. The conversation, I mean, Twitter drives the conversation uh, in in elite circles. You see it obviously with the president, but mm-hmm. um, media loves Twitter, and 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 that's what makes Twitter, you know, both very powerful and very awful. Uh, TikTok trends. I think the newest trends are not. I mean, Instagram has TikTok envy because <laughs> the trends are starting on TikTok, not on Instagram, um, not on Twitter. YouTube. God, I think it's TV for young people. Mm-hmm. Email. I mean, I don't have I don't have any any teenage kids or something like this. But from everything that I see, um, it's you know I don't people young people don't see a difference between YouTube and and TV. You know they they turn and and that's good and bad. I mean that's how you get all these like these young people radicalizing, but uh, thanks to some algorithm pointing them in conspiracy theories. Well, I, I also think for me, perspective, YouTube, I, we, we have this conversation and this is, this is maybe a bit ageist. And I'm saying that as a 46 year old guy <laughs> and even in our company, which is a content agency uh, at Teamworks media, we talk about this where it's like, you have certain people of a certain age, your age, my age, and you have to fight that linear notion right of like the the on demand world like youtube is to me i do have three um teenage girls and to me youtube is the ultimate in kind of like on demand i want it when i want yeah. it where i want it right now and if it's not there you're not relevant to me not you know but come do they find me. do they look at it as a different thing than like tv no, it, my daughters are quirky. They don't watch much media in general, um, but in in that regard, so but so they watch very little TV. But if they if they do go on YouTube, it's very much, you know, they're in control, right? It, it it's they're not they're not yeah. saying, oh, I'm choosing this over TV. It's I'm I'm indulging That's myself I mean. in content is what you're going at, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly. like whatever. Uh, email. Uh, highly effective. Too effective. <laughs> <laughs> And by that, I mean, it's like, you know, email is the most like, you know, for maybe search ads, but like it is the most effective sales driver for every single business. Mm -hmm. And that's why 
that's why we get, that's why we hate it because uh, we get so much email. Um, I've said it before, but you, when you look at the data of the upsides to the sort of um, hits to your, the data is always going to tell you to to send more email. It's always going to tell you, yeah, always because <laughs> you know, I you remember Fast Times at Richmond High? Of course. Well, like one of my favorite scenes of that, of many favorite scenes, is when. Um, Mark the Rat Ratner is like talking to Damone about how Damone is successful uh, with girls. And Damone's like, I send out a vibe. And, and Rat's like, well, if you send out the vibe to every single girl in the tri-state area, someone's going to respond. <laughs> and I think that's generally what email is. I should just, we should just drop the mic there. I can't top it's the, that. It's the Damone, uh, Damone media. Theory. Uh, events. <laughs> uh, I'm still, I, you know, I, I'm still very uh, bullish on them in you know the long term. I think in-person events are not going to uh, be around in how we remember them for a while, probably. You know, mm -hmm. I think I think until there's a vaccine, it won't be. You know, there's going to be a lag between what people are comfortable with. Um, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I would bet on a second wave. I'm moving out of New York City, so <laughs> that tells you where my thinking is. Um, so, but I, again, I really think events are a means to an end. And, um, you know, you put it perfectly when you said convening. The power of convening yeah. is going to be, it's as important today as it was uh, in January and it will be as important uh, a year from now, whether there's a first, second or third wave. Um, and so that figuring out new ways to do that convening um, is sort of job one. Yeah, I mean, that's how I look at your brand. You are the convener, did you? Like your podcast, like it's a yeah. place to huddle. There's a there's a different set of podcast listeners, I'm sure, than your data shows from other mediums. And, you know, with, they're not mutually exclusive. And, uh, you know, you're you're able to bring the best and the brightest together because of the brand equity you've built and the trust that you've built with your community. Yeah. So, good. Uh, okay, home stretch here, content measurement. Uh, sales. Wow. <laughs> I mean, ultimately... You know, uh, I think, as I said, I mean, the days of like, oh, we did this thing and we're not really sure of the impact it had. Like, you know, everything has to everything has to serve a purpose that ultimately leads to, um, you know, sales and, you know, can be a top of the funnel, but like ultimately it has to lead to sales. Um, otherwise why do it? I mean, I always say even the stuff we do, it's like everything has a job to do um, and it has to fit somewhere in the funnel. Um, otherwise, you know, why do it? Well said. Well, so you're a really great interviewer, so no pressure on me here, but the podcast okay. is my favorite content type oh. from, from Dig Today. And I, I, this is probably more for my own personal edification. How do you choose your guests? Oh God, it's not very scientific. I mean, it's just like things I find interesting at the time. I think as as more time has gone on, the more it's it's become more of just interesting people who I want to talk to. But also at the same time, I can't be in my own little bubble. Like I mean, like you know, I 
I can't talk to just like, you know, publisher CROs. Like I want to keep it focused, right. you know, so I've always like kept it just to media people like publishers and not like tech or agency mm-hmm. and stuff. But now I'm kind of thinking like, you know, like I don't want to do, you know, no offense to Ben Lair, but do we need to do like the, the fifth <laughs> version of this Ben? Um, I don't know. So I want to like sort of branch out, you know, um, having people like Lindsay on. I like I like now like having on people not from the business side, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes um, there's a lot of like assumptions that that the people on the quote unquote content side are, are not like don't understand like business. It's just like total nonsense. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the, you'll find that the best um, people on the quote unquote editorial side are incredibly savvy about business. Yeah. Um, and the best people on the, on the, on the revenue, which is usually the advertising revenue side are incredibly um, savvy about um, and protective of, of, of the editorial because they know they're, yeah. they're, they're smart. They know what, they know what drives what. Um, so I'm, I'm yeah, cu- I mean, I'm curious for you how it's worked as a content marketing tool, even if it's a byproduct. And by that, I mean, um, by nature of me doing the Brand Story Inc. podcast, I've opened my network. Mm-hmm. I met a lot more people. You're doing that as well. What kind of impact yeah. has it had for Digiday, your podcast? Well, so the job I look at it, it's like it does a, it does a monetization job and we sell some ads and stuff like this. But like it's really – it's That's not the focus really though. deep engagement tool if you will like i'm gonna like use these buzzwords but like you know it's throw some acronyms and then i'll call you out on yeah dsps (laughs) and and it's an end-to-end solution there you go um no i mean i think it it you know the job it does is is people listen to it for a long time and you know and um i mean you just see the amount of of time spent is is a lot higher than like an article and look, the the nature of it being audio leads to it being more personal, right? Yeah. I mean, it just that's just the way it is. You know, you 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 meet people and like you know, I don't mean to make this stop. But other people are like, oh, I know your voice. Like I hear your gun. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, I went there. I, I was I fanboyish with you when I started. Look, I was. I've listened yeah. to probably. 20 hours of your voice which is scary yeah, like to admit I was in you know brooklyn. <laughs> i was in brooklyn running yesterday and like i ran by a guy with friend of the pod t-shirt on and mask <laughs> we're running around in masks and like i'm like i'm like how bizarre is it that this guy is 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 running around in a mask in a <laughs> podcast t-shirt from from pod save saves america like nobody is running around that I'm seeing in a CNN t-shirt. Right. And, and, I guess that, that football coach was, was wearing that. OAN <laughs> yeah, the Oklahoma state so, coach. Yeah. But, <laughs> but usually not, but like, you know, this guy's running around in in his favorite podcasts t-shirt. Yep. So I don't mean, look, I mean, the numbers for podcasting have gotten a lot higher, but I really do think it's the sort of the depth of, of engagement. There's no other word. No, um, I, I like it. And it's not cliche. I mean, it's what I like. I'm sitting there listening and you're hearing, and I'm as an owner of a content agency, I'm like, okay, Brian, I'm like mentally vibing you, even though you've recorded it three weeks early. I'm like, go there, man. Come on. Don't, don't put up with that bullshit <laughs> line. So, 
and it's just... more it is more personal like conversations are more personal and um and it's and... easier you can go deep right i mean this is the this is the no shit factor but you can go deep for 40 minutes on a topic as opposed to reading a 17,000 word article right that you're not going to do and it's i don't know there's just an intimacy too of the the relationship that, that I've enjoyed listening to. So, right, good. All right, last question for you, and I'll yeah. let you off the stand. Uh, what books on Brian Morrissey's nightstand, whether in the just read or want to read pile? <laughs> I'm currently reading uh, uh, Chernobyl. Oh my gosh! Uh, really? So I just <laughs> think about all the disasters, and um, is this like a relative know, think, disaster breeds optimism thing going on here? I mean, well, good God! I mean, I watched I watched the HBO show, and it was pretty fascinating. Okay, um, and um, I think. I think it is actually instructive in that um, there was a, a lot of like warnings and stuff like this that were um, ignored. And there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of like group think and there, you know, the, the Soviet system was very hierarchical and um, you had people doing stuff they knew was, was not just wrong, but like, you know, it was going to be deadly and mm. stuff like this that, you know, they were just so, rigid and i think the reason why the book is good and and i mean it's tragic and stuff like this but it, it's sort of the tragedy of the the soviet system which was so ossified that it was the opposite of adaptable and so i think about now um you know adaptability is is the the greatest of all abilities right now mm -hmm. and if you have ossified rigid organizational structures or just even even just rigid ways of thinking and it's like, no, we do it this way. I know the best. <laughs> then you're, you're kind of screwed. I feel like um, <laughs> now because like, you know, look, all of these things that have been happening have forced, I think people to rethink pretty much all of their set assumptions yeah. and, you know, the ability and humility to be able to interrogate yourself is um, incredibly important these days. Um, Great words. Words that extend far beyond just the digital media landscape. So, Brian, <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, Brian cool. Morris, the editor-in-chief and president of Digiday, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc., We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.